To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by PB and Joey. Simple, honest, and delicious. Go to pbandjoey.com for more information. Plus, starting August 1st, any order over $35 will get free shipping. See Etsy.com for further details. pbandjoey.com for more details, of course. pbandjoey.com. get crazy with this thing? Don't you know I'm local? Happy dog days of summer. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com. Find me on, uh, find me on Minds, I guess. I was going to say find me on all social media, but I want to talk about that. But you can find me on all social media for the meantime. just depends on how much time you actually spend on social media. And if you are spending too much time on social media, maybe you should get off of it. But in the meantime, if you are going to be on social media, you can definitely find me on social media at Instagram, at Twitter, at Facebook.com slash PositiveSarcasm. You can find me on Minds, Minds at PositiveSarcasm. You can find me on Reddit. Yes! I am on the Reddit! Glory! I don't know why I wasn't on Reddit. I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I look at Reddit and it's just like fucking nerd central. I mean, I get it. There's a lot. Reddit's a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. Not really sure how the forum system thing works, but uh, I'm on there now. You can find me at uh, POS Sarcasm. Or you can just, you know, look for positive sarcasm. Look for the black hole logo. I am there now. So I will be posting going forward when I post all my stuff. I will, of course, also be posting on Reddit. So you can find me on Reddit. Uh, and then that's it. I'm not going to try to spread myself too thin. I'm still not on Snapchat. Still not doing it. You know, I, I am, as I've noticed. Uh, actually, I do. Quick shout out to my coffee this week. Uh, I'm doing cold brewing at home, and uh, I don't know yet. I, I've been tired. I'm not going to lie. I've definitely been a lot more tired lately. I don't know if it's because I'm taking in too much caffeine or if I'm just tired and I'm getting up so early and I'm not getting enough sleep, maybe because it's hot out or maybe because last Sunday I was at the beach and I pretty much burned myself to oblivion. And when you really, when you, I mean, it's one thing when you get a sunburn. It's another thing when you sunburn your nipples. When you do that and you're really in tough shit. Ladies, you don't know because you don't tan you 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 know you're you don't tan your tan your tits normally. I mean, if you're at a, like a, a topless beach, okay, it's fine. But when a dude lays out there for too long, and and, and his and his nipply poos get you know get a little get a little char on them, it's uh it's a tough night's sleep, yo. Especially if you're wearing an undershirt or you're going to work out, and you know you're constantly those undershirts for the most part are pretty unforgiving. You know, you move you move one way, and they kind of rub up against your nipples, and they're already they're already you know sensitive sensitive. You know, I've already got kind of sensitive nipples. Um, the rest of me is not sensitive at all, but the my nipples, yeah, whew, look out now. Um, so it makes it harder for me to sleep, and if I can't get them sleep, I'm constantly tossing and turning, which I may I wake up and I'm in a bad mood, and I'm drudging throughout the day, and uh, it's hard to. You know, especially when I'm supposed to be focusing on all my other concepts, my important projects that I've been putting off for so long because I've been doing other shit. And I got August coming up, and August is already a super busy month for me and all many different shapes and sizes from cool stuff to busy stuff to tough stuff to whatever stuff. But it's all on there. I want to get some stuff done in July. I'd really like to. Um, 
but just not getting any sleep is it's been killing me small so i'm gonna try to do a better job of getting proper sleep even though it's really really hot out and the walls are basically melting in the uh oh in the spare part studios which i am streaming live from twitch.tv slash positive sarcasm one live from the spare parts studios and now like hey this is what happens when you don't get any sleep you're really off i wanted to just mention the algorithms really quick I noticed that the new social media algorithms uh, Facebook and Instagram have been up implementing have definitely uh, taken some type of effect on my account. My account was never really popular. Maybe because I'm just not, I don't post all the time. Uh, I don't follow certain rules as far, as far as whatever. I don't know what the rules are. You know, I, knew, I use hashtags, which kind of helped for a little bit for a while. I don't buy likes or whatever, but I'm, I know there's a significant difference from when I used to post to how I post now. That there's an absolute major difference in how the algorithm works. And I am trying something different. The reason I'm talking about that I'm on Reddit now is because I'm not sure I'm getting enough reach in the social media universe as far as what I'm doing. I can tell by the last couple of episodes I've done on YouTube that my work is good, at least from the people that have seen it. From the people that have seen it, they like my work. I don't use catchy titles or whatever, but I do good work. So, oh my god, I gotta get a sip here. Mm. But I'm gonna have to try something different, a little more grassroots-ish, grassroots-ish, because I'm pretty certain that I don't know how much more. I can do on these social media platforms like the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the Twitter. I'm not getting enough out there and maybe it's either I'm not doing enough or there is something out there that's preventing me or maybe I'm just not taking sides or I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. I'd rather not be spending all my time on social media because I have to take into account my mental health, everyone else's mental health by reading my tweets or my, my posts or whatever. And I want to focus on the quality of my work instead of just the amount of shit that I'm pumping out. Right now, I think it's more of a, in the, the digital world, it's not so much the quality of your work. Although there are obviously a lot of exceptions to that rule. Or maybe it's just more 50-50. There's the people who do really, really good work, but they've been doing it for a very long time. They're part of an older, an older algorithm or whatever that you know they just they were there from the beginning they jumped on the train back in the beginning therefore they're already known therefore people are going to their stuff but there are other people out there right now that they've been on this on these platforms for a long time and they've they've also confirmed that their views and things like that are dramatically changed decreased basically so if that's the case how am i going if they if they're suffering because of it what am i going to do so what are my options at this point? Obviously it's obviously it's not to quit. But I do want to get to the next step at this point. You know. And that is just to focus continue to focus on the quality of my work. The quality of my clients, the quality of my, of my work, the quality of my opinions. Because it's I do see it. I'm not sure where we're going. I'm not sure what the next big thing is. I don't. I'm not I'm not that clairvoyant, I think is the proper word. I'm and I don't want to stay busy. If I'm putting out one podcast a week, 
then that's because is it all I can do? Right now, yes, it is. It's one hour that I do whatever I can to give you the best articles that I think are sourced properly, that I can critique properly, that I have the time allotted to give the proper attention to. One day of the week to get at least all of my thoughts, all the stupidest thoughts out of my head and onto record that I'm not afraid to be criticized for. And then pulling back on the amount of YouTube videos I pump out so that the quality of the, the videos I do put out can increase dramatically. I can tell you right now that the five, last five that I put out are better than the last five that I put out. Does that make sense? So basically there's week 95 to 100 and then there is all the new ones. Quality-wise, they're better. Significantly better. Okay? I took a long time to figure out the mistakes and in the patterns I was doing, and they are more, way significantly better. Technically, uh, from a technical perspective, far superior. So I want to focus on only putting out quality work. My opinion has to be honest and quality. The articles I read have to be honest and quality. The work that I do has to be quality. It just has to be quality. And if for nothing else, whether I succeed or fail, fail, as long as I'm doing everything I can to put out quality work whenever it happens to be, and I'm consistent in that quality, then I'm okay with that. And I think eventually that will turn into more clients, more views, more dollars, obviously. And if more dollars turn, more dollars will turn into more time, more time allocated. Therefore, more content, and then the and then the ball then the snowball effect happens. I enjoy doing this. I definitely do. I I like being able to sit down, even if I'm at the end of the day. If there's no really nobody listening, which there are, there are definitely people listening. You know, and getting all these thoughts out because I can tell you from as. Seeing what's out there right now, as men become weaker, as the human race becomes more misled, misguided, misinformed, more quick to judge, more, what is it, impulsive in their judgment, uh, impulsive in their movements, their thoughts, their actions, it makes me want to speak out less. It makes me, it does. It makes me want to internalize everything that I say and do and become more invisible. Hopefully that the tide will pass. But then I realized that if that's the case, then it's only going to make me more dangerous. If you are a person who feels like you can't speak your mind or investigate new things or have an honest conversation and you are therefore internalizing your thoughts, your questions, the, the, or the little evil things that go on in your head, and you just leave them in there to kind of stew, they're going to infect other parts of your brain and, and your thoughts, and it's going to make things worse. So by getting on here, or, get, or you getting out there and asking questions and doing things, you're going you're gonna to put more oxygen in that head of yours. You're going to put better... Uh, if, it's like a, if it's like a lawn... You got to feed the lawn. You, you got to water the lawn. You got to put oxygen in there. You got to do that. 
if you don't put any sunlight on that brain, it's just going to get infected. And that's not good. So the idea of me just sitting back and keeping my mouth shut, it only works for so long and in so many environments. So I can either make myself the target in one way by keeping my mouth shut, and eventually they come for me anyways. And by mean they, I mean whatever environment I happen to be in, depending upon how the world is going forward, just by being who I am, just a, a person standing up. Or becoming a target by having this website and having this podcast and having this YouTube channel and having my opinions wrong or right, having them out there, if only once a week or online or whatever. If that makes me a target in another way, that's fine. It'll only shed light, in my opinion, if that's the way I, that light is shed upon me, that's a better way of doing it. I'd rather be learning by opening my mouth because at least I have a chance to open my mind as well. And I think it's important for you guys to go out there and do that as well. That's why the validity, the sourcing of my articles, you know, am I correct in the articles I'm reading? How am I correct? And these articles I'm reading, if they're not for fun, if they're informative, how do they help me? How do they help you by learning them? I like to learn about a lot of things. I like to investigate a lot of things. I'm a very curious mind. Uh, that's why I like so many different comedians. That's why I like so many different journalists. It's hard. It, as far as, you know, confirmation bias, which is basically just, you know, you kind of echoing the same thoughts in your head that are basically told by other people. So that you're, you know, just around agreeable people. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to be around people that you get along with and have a shared common ground with. Which can be just about anybody. I do get concerned every time I open my mouth. And every time that I come on here and if I'm just, maybe if I'm just joking around with, with Johnny Monotone or another guest. Or if I'm by myself down here trying random notes that maybe are off color or silly or just don't land right. You know, it can be scary because you never know who's watching, who's listening, who's taking up a um taking up a new mission to deplatform de people right now i'm not big enough to matter but should that stop me from worrying about if i do become successful in this or more successful than i am now does that make me a target where i should be worried should i should, should i worry about something i said now Five years from now. Something I did five years from now. Something I, I, I wrote. Or should I just say, yeah, what's your point? Yeah, you understand. Yeah, you have to be brave enough to accept your mistakes in the past. But you also have to be brave enough and, you know, have enough strength in your spine to be like, yeah, that was then. What does it do? What does it have to do with now? Or you can just say, "Listen, I don't have time for that. My focus is on if I'm focusing on something else, and somebody approaches you with this, be like, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. I have bigger focuses right now than something I wrote ten years ago, something I said five years ago, a tweet I threw out. 
it doesn't matter. My goal is to better myself. And there's only so much, I only have so much time to look back without tripping over what I'm trying to do going forward. And every, t- every time that I go live and I hit record or I post something, there's always that risk. And then you look, you, and, and you don't understand, is I listen to these podcasts. I listen to every single one. Okay? I edit them. I post them. I listen to them. And then I move on. Same thing with my, my, my podcast, uh, my YouTube channel. I watch all that stuff 20, 30 times. And then I post them. And then I watch them two, three, ten, four, five more times. Because I'm looking for mistakes. I'm looking for any ways I can do better next time. I am. I'm very hyper-focused on that. That's how I, I fix the issues there. But I'm not going to go back, th- th- you know, 30 episodes from now and be like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe I should have curated it more towards a, gener- a certain audience. These are all the little things that go on in my head. And eventually you're just going to be like, you know what, fuck it. That was then. I've done all these since now, and things seem to be steering in the right direction. So just keep doing that. Why not? There are so many other things to be worrying about. So many other things to be focusing on. There's nothing I've I've done on this on this website with this thing, this lifelong project of mine, where I started something and it was you know even 20 episodes down the road there was fuck ups. You know I remember an episode it was like episode 20 when it was Mark and Shane were on the podcast, and I didn't realize until the end of the podcast that the fucking half of the the microphone plug was not firmly in the actual mixer. So it created a feedback throughout the entire episode. It wasn't until the next episode that I realized that that was the problem. That's a fuck up. You fix it. And there was other mixer issues and stuff. And it it takes me, you know, 50, 60, 70 times before I'd be like, that one little thing that was pissing me off the whole time, it's like, oh, and then you fix it. So, what I'm trying to say is, what was I trying to say? I don't know. It's been a long day. Sleepy. Um, Don't get so scared of what you're going to say. Just start by doing or what you're going to put out there. Just try to be sincere in what your attempts are going to be. My attempts from the beginning were to just move this stuff forward and figure out what was out there and start putting out the, the all the ideas that were in my head and see which ones stuck and see which ones people liked and see which ones I liked and maybe could build upon and and go from there. And there's a lot of misses out there, but I just keep doing it. I don't know how I come up with half the shit I have. It seems to be resonating with some people quite well. You know, it certainly did with the last episode on, on YouTube I put out. The The podcast thing has always been, you know, that was five years in the making to where I'm now on my 76th episode. I had to do it myself, but it's here. 
you know, and it's it could it could always grow. It is growing. The question is how much will it grow? The que- and the answer to that is as long as I stay consistent and post weekly, I'm pretty sure it will. So if I continue to post weekly with the podcast and continue to put out videos online whenever I can and update the website and the channel overall and then figure out which social medias I should be using properly in order to get traffic. Because I I can tell you for certain that Instagram and Facebook are not going to do it. You're not going to win that way. Not anymore. Okay. The jig is up. Things are moving much quicker than you'd expect. So that's done. Don't go that route anymore. As far as TikTok and, and, and Snapchat, I don't know. But I don't want to overextend myself on other social media platforms where I'm literally using my face as the brand. I'd rather not use my face as the brand. And as far as putting out like another episode on YouTube like Trigger Warning, where it's literally just a freestyle out of my mouth because I'm afraid because of the last episode that I put out was completely different than the one I'm putting out now that I may offend somebody. Well, that's the point I'm trying to come across. I should just do it and get it out there. It's in my head. It should be put on paper. So don't be scared of other people's opinions at all. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Just find something that you can put a lot of energy into that just interests you. And if even in whatever it is, I don't know. Maybe you want to build a house out of cardboard boxes. Maybe you want to build a, a a football field size Jenga game. I don't know. Whatever it is, just get it out of your head and put it in, and execute it, and just see where it takes you. You'll be a lot more. It'll your life will be a lot more interesting if you're getting it. Whatever's in your head, and and put it into action. You know. I see a lot of stupid shit out there, ridiculous stuff. And I write random shit down all the time. And a lot lot of it doesn't, it just kind of sits there. Some of it's more of open notes. Some of it actually turns into episodes or podcast notes. A lot of it doesn't see the light of day. But I take the chance. Whatever I can do to get more traffic, as long as it's within the, the context of my website, flying drones, shooting my mouth off, uh, testing new tech equipment, um, nonprofit stuff, at least the nonprofits I'm connected to. And then obviously gigs that pay. Passive income. But whatever. You know, these are my initial opening thoughts that you really, at this point, you can't be afraid to just get started because you can sit I can sit here for 20 minutes 30 minutes just trying to pump myself up to hit the record button and go live but then eventually I just will psych myself out to the point where I'll never hit record I'll never go live and then there'll never be an episode so where if I just hit record 
put a little caffeine in my system and just say, hey, let's just fucking do this. You would hope after 75 something episodes going on 76, that's you would get an outer hour out of it. And the things that were in your head that were pent up all week can get out there and people can at least a percentage of the population can listen to this, understand it and utilize it to their benefit. Or maybe just listen to it as an ex- as an escape. Whatever it is, if it helps, great. Keep doing it. Just don't be afraid to screw up along the way. You know? We've all baked a couple bad cakes in our life. Cake sounds pretty good right now, actually. Anyways, I want to welcome everybody to my channel, PositiveSarcasm.com. If you want to donate to this podcast, you can go to PositiveSarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. You can go check out my YouTube channel, at uh, Positive Sarcasm. Just look it up. You can find me on Reddit now. Uh, just look up Positive Sarcasm. And, of course, you can find me on all the social medias and stuff. Well, most of them. And I do have some articles for you today. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, let's see, top 25 Bond movies, even though there's only, I don't know why they, what was it called, top 25? Maybe I just wrote it down in the notes like that. Uh, I also do have, let's see, articles for today are 25 Bond movies ranked according to a, a, a site that has no clue what the fuck it's talking about when it comes to ranking Bond movies. I know, I've seen all but one. Starbucks says sorry to the Arizona Police Department, as they should. Uh, there's an asteroid making the rounds, and a thousand Android apps harvesting data. Oh no, look out. So, it's uh we are coming up on 25 minutes so and johnny monotone was actually going to stop by today but i don't know one of his marketing you know jerk each other off thingies didn't fucking work out so he bailed um which is fine he'll be back he'll be back man um yeah so that's good we're good we're great anyways so let's get some some articles because uh yeah i'm running out of steam here I'm definitely exhausted. And I'm looking at this freaking list that I made of uh, names of pre-workouts. God, I don't know if I should... I ain't talking about that, that's for sure. All right, let's get some articles. Fuck it. Sometimes it's an off week, yo. All right. Let's get this out of the way. Let's grab the laptop. All right. Okay, more than a thousand. This is by CNET. I'm starting to become more of a fan than CNET than I used to be. I kind of like their articles. If you don't know what CNET is, CNET is mostly tech, technology, entertainment type of news. It's kind of good. It's I don't like going to like Fox or CNN or Washington Post or whatever. I like tech shit. You know, tech is kind of, you know, you can kind of really get, get some good articles out there that aren't really biased or whatevs. So this one is by CNET, uh, by Alfred NG. More than 1,000 Android apps harvest data even after you deny permissions. Oh, boy. The, app, uh, the apps gather information such as location, duh, even after owners explicitly say no. Google says a fix won't come until Android Q. What? All right, let's get through this. Permissions on Android apps are intended to be gatekeepers uh, for how much data your device gives up. If you don't want a flashlight app to be able to read through your call logs, you should be able to deny that access. But even when you say no, no, many apps find a way around. Researchers, researchers, oh, 
Researchers discovered more than 1,000 apps have dis- have that skirted restrictions, allowing them to gather precise geolocation data and phone identifiers behind your back. Oh, no. Discovery highlights how difficult it is to stay private online, particularly if you're attached to your phones and mobile apps. Tech companies have mountains of personal data on millions of people, including where they've been, who they're friends with, and what they're interested in. Lawmakers are attempting, good luck, to reel in that privacy regulation, and app permissions are supposed to control what data you give up. Apple and Google have released new features to improve people's privacy, but apps continue to find hidden ways to get around these protections. Researchers from the International Computer Science Institute found up to 1,325 Android apps that were gathering data from devices even after people explicitly denied their permission. Serge Eagleman, Director of Usable Security and Privacy Research at the ICSI, presented the study in late June at the Federal Trade Commission's Privacy Con. Quote, Fundamentally, consumers have very few, uh, very few tools and cues that they can use to reasonably control their privacy and make decisions about it. If app developers can just circumvent the system, then asking consumers for permission is relatively meaningless. Well, first of all, if you're just paying, if you're not paying for the app, more than likely, if if you think it's free, it's probably using your, it's probably you're paying for it with your data. And even if you are actually paying for it, it probably will still take your data. Eggleman said the researchers notified Google about these issues last September as well as the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, if you didn't know. Google said it would be addressing the issues in Android Q, which is expected to release this year. The update will address the issue by hiding location information in photos from apps and requiring any apps that access Wi-Fi to also have permission for location data, according to Google. The study looked at more than 88,000 apps from Google Play Store tracking how data transferred from the apps when they were denied permissions. The 1,325 apps that violated permissions on Android used workarounds hidden in its code that would take personal data from sources like Wi-Fi connections and metadata stored in photos. There's actually, if you take pictures with your phone, you can actually turn off location. Just probably a good idea. Researchers found that Shutterfly, a photo editing app, had been gathering GPS coordinates from photos and sending that data to its own servers, even when users declined to give the app permission to access location data. Quote, fundamentally, consumers have very few tools and cues that they can use to reasonably control their privacy and make decisions about it. A Shutterfly spokeswoman said the company would only gather location data data with explicit explicit permission despite what researchers found. Like, quote, like many photo services, Shutterfly uses this data to enhance the user experience. That's what they always say with features such as categorization and personalized product suggestions, all in accordance with Shutterfly's privacy policy, as well as the Android developer agreement, the company said in a statement. Mm. <clears throat> That's some lawyer speak right there, yo. Some apps were relying on other apps that were granted permission to look at personal data, piggybacking off their access to gather phone identifiers like your IMEI number. These apps would read through unprotected files on a device's SD card, and harvest data they didn't have permission to access. So if you let other apps access personal data and they stored it in a folder on the SD card, these spying apps would be able to take that information. Fuck. While there were only about 13 apps doing this, they were installed more than 17 million times, according to the researchers. These apps like uh, Baidu's Hong Kong Disneyland Park app, researchers said, this is why you don't play games on your fucking phones. Nor let your kids do it either. 
Baidu and Disney didn't respond to the request for comments. Yeah, no shit. There are 153 apps that have that capability, researchers found, including Samsung's health and browser apps. Yep. Which are installed on more than 500 million devices. Samsung didn't respond to the request for comment. No shit. Other apps were gathering location data by connecting to your Wi-Fi network and figuring out the router's MAC address. They found this on apps that functioned as smart remote controls, which didn't need your location information to function. Eggleman, that's why we have just regular remote controls. Eggleman said he will be releasing date details with a list of 1,325 apps that researchers discovered which he, when he presents the study at the Unisex Security Conference in August. That, okay. This is why being a minimalist is important. This is why you don't need shit like Alexa. You don't need to use Siri. You don't need, there's a lot of things that you don't need. And apps that you don't use, if there's an app that you use maybe once a month, you can afford to get rid of it. If there's an app that you use maybe once a week, you can think about getting rid of it. Location settings, you can ins you can insert those yourself. You don't need the, the phone to do it for you. You don't need your kids playing video games on your phone. You don't. Don't do it. You never give up your phone. And I, there, there is as far as and as far as like security systems that are run by Google or smart speakers in your house or smart TVs in your home, none of it's actually needed. A simple setup is more than enough. You don't need a smart TV. You don't. You don't need smart speakers. A standard Bluetooth speaker is fine. You can get one of those old speaker systems that I use with a regular straight-up remote, more than sufficient. You're, you can easily overcomplicate smart products just as much as you can stupid products when you had like a bunch of remotes kicking around. You had like a bunch of... Uh, a remote sitting on top of your on top of your coffee table. One starts the, one starts the DVD player. One turns on the TV. One turns on the cable. One turns on your speaker system. It can be just as complicated too. Going through you know diving into your TV with all these different programs, trying to get the freaking football game on. So you're better off using dumb products. Believe me, because what you're giving up in data may be more than you're willing to bargain with. Uh, so that's that. And do I use an app? Yeah, I actually, after reading this article, I deleted a dozen apps. At least a dozen apps. I don't play games on my phone anymore. I shut it off when I go to bed at night. Um, yeah. I deleted my Twitter app. We talked about that several podcasts ago. And social media is, I'm definitely, I've pulled back significantly on my social media use. Because it's not productive at all. It just, it isn't. It doesn't, it, yeah, it just, unless I'm promoting an actual product or a, lo or a event or, or an, something, or a location, then no. It just won't do it. I was at a 4th of July thing. It's funny because, yeah, I was at a 4th of July thing and apparently the, the couple that I, I, I saw there they just had a kid. I had no idea. And no idea. Just like, wait, is it that kid's yours? When when did this happen? They're like, we posted it all over Facebook. I'm like, well, that makes well, it makes perfect sense to me because I don't go on there, not really. So I'm not gonna know. But yeah, it, it's you are better off. You're definitely better off. So unless people send you notifications and stuff, you know. And it also helps if you're not following a lot of people when you're on social media. 
If you don't follow a lot of people, you don't get as many notifications. Same thing on Facebook. Shut off as many notifications as you can. So unless you actually get somebody who mentions you or sends you a message, you don't need to know about it. Okay, let's get into some scary shit. This is also by CNET. Big rare is by Eric Mack. Big rare asteroid found making the rounds between Earth and Sun. Sweet. Armageddon. It's a good movie, by the way. Astronomers have discovered an unusual asteroid that sets a record for the shortest year among space rocks smaller than a planet. The asteroid cataloged as, quote, 2019 LF6 orbits the sun in just 151 days. Wow. It whips around space in a very unusual elliptical loop that it sees that sees it sometime coming closer to the sun than Mercury on one end and then traveling out past Venus on the other. This makes it just one of 20 so-called Atira asteroids, A-T-I-R-A. I'm probably saying it wrong, but that's all right. Known that orbit the sun entirely inside Earth's own orbit. But 2019 LF6 is doubly rare because it is also relatively big, measuring across around a kilometer across. You don't find a kilometer-sized asteroids very often these days. Caltech's Quanzi Yi, the asteroids discoverer, said in a statement. Now that most of the larger objects have been found, the bigger ones are rare birds. Its unique orbit explains why such a large asteroid eluded several decades of careful searches. The asteroid was spotted using the Zwicky Transient Facility at Palomar Observatory, which also, fa- which also found another Eteri asteroid earlier this year. Both of the objects orbited basically perpendicular to the essentially flat plane of the solar system, flat plane, not flat Earth, of the solar system that the planet inhabits. Mm. Quote, this suggests that sometimes in the past they were flung out of a plane of the solar system because they came too close to Venus or Mercury, said Tom Prince, a Caltech physics professor and scientist at a NASA jet propulsion lab. Most asteroids are found deeper in space, particularly beyond Mars in the main asteroid belt, but there could be many more hidden objects lurking between our planet and the sun. Uh, one proposed NASA mission named NEOCAM for Near Earth or, uh, Object Camera would launch a spacecraft equipped to look specifically for interior asteroids. More eyes in the sky is always a good idea when you consider the asteroids have a nasty habit of sneaking up on us. That's the end of that article. So... Yeah, there. I remember it was uh, who's it? Neil deGrasse Tyson said on the Joe Rogan Experience that number one, there are so many asteroids out there that we haven't identified that are closer than we realize. And two, if there were asteroids out there that were of imminent threat, we were we're not ready for them. Not only do we not know that they're there, we're not ready for them. It would take us, he said, like between ten and twenty years to have an idea of what to do with them. And it wouldn't matter. And we're not talking about like a kilometer size asteroid. We're talking about planet killers. Things you like, just absolute planet killers. Like that would be the end of everything. Like have a good day. Um, that's why I think getting off this planet is essential. We do. I mean, eventually we do have to kind of spread out. We got to go back to being pioneers and exploring new places. Okay. Yeah, and it is. I think it's essential. I think I think we eventually have to figure out what to do on the moon. We have to figure out what to do on Mars, and we do got to figure out some type of speed. I don't. You know what the big. You know what would really suck. I mean, 
the biggest the biggest fucking bummer of all time. The biggest bummer discovery of all time. It would not be if we were actually alone in the universe. If we were actually alone in the universe, that would be a bummer. Like like number one, like and I I mean no god, no aliens. Like either or. No both. If we discover that there is no god and we discover that there are no aliens, like there's neither one there's either one or the other. Like you know. My opinion has got to be one or the other. There has to be one. There either has to be a god or there has to be extraterrestrial life. There has to be something else out there. Um, that would suck. But there'd be something else even more suckier than that. Like if we were say we were alone in the universe, completely alone, and it was basically our, it, it, you know, it was our playground to do. If we actually could not get off this planet. If we could not actually achieve a, a rate of speed fast enough to get us out of the solar system, past you know Jupiter and you know Uranus and Pluto, if we were actually basically stuck here, like we could not go as far as Mars, that would suck. We're all stuck here on this planet with each other. That would be the biggest human bummer ever. We are already human-wise, like as humanity, we're already picking at each at our scab. We already we've been, we spent hundreds of years picking at our own scabs. Humanity just sitting there scratching the skin till it bleeds. We gotta get off this planet. We really do. And we eventually have to figure out a way to get out of our solar system. We like to explore. We're curious. That's what. That's always been the fo- how we focus as as a as a as a planet, as a people, as a species, exploring, not necessarily conquering, even though that kind of goes with the territory, but seeing what's out there and being able to go f- faster. I mean, but when you think about it, it never, it didn't take us very long to accomplish any of those things. For example, okay, independence was established in 1776. We abolished, we abolished slavery in 1865, the end of the Civil War. Uh, by the early 1900s, we were able to produce flight we were able to get off the ground and take to the air we became birds uh, 50 years later we discovered the sound barrier and shortly after that broke it and then shortly after that we were able to get into space shortly after that by 1969 we landed on the moon So within 200 years, less than that, 200 years? Yeah, about 200, a little less than 200 years, we were able to establish, going from establishing independence in the United States to landing on the moon within 200 years. And breaking the sound barrier as far as speed goes. So we now have, on this planet, 
broken, you know, we've gone as fast as we can according to terminal velocity, at least, I think. I don't know. I have to look into that a little bit more. I'm not a scientist. As far as space goes, we need to do more work. The more work we do out there, the more records we can break. The more things we can accomplish. There has to be a way for us to get out there. There just has to be. I'm willing it at this point. That's why I said I was joking in last week's podcast when they said, hey, you want to go to the, you know, if they said somebody who wants to go to the moon, All right, not to moon, well, moon, yes, but Mars, yeah, I'd go. Take care, take care of my finances. Put me on board. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I'll go to Mars. Just get me a convertible. I'll go. I, I want to see what's out there and I want to explore and, and, and help that process. So I, I think within a short period of time of, of being independent in the United States, we were able to accomplish so many records and so many things technology-wise. So it's been a short period of time what we've done as a, hum, as a human race, particularly in, in, during the independence of the United States. I think if we continue to push the boundaries, we can actually accomplish more. I think we can get to Mars within a year, two years. We just got to put it out there. And then as far as establishing a rate of speed with a new type of engine or whatever, getting out of our solar system, I'm optimistic that we can accomplish such a feat where it literally changes humanity in itself. Where we are able to bend space and time to where we can end up on the other side of the of the universe. That would change. Would it change everything? Yeah, it would. Are we ready for it? Does it matter? Who gives a shit if we're ready for it? What matters is that we do it. We gotta get out there. What the hell else are we gonna do? Imagine the jobs we would create. Donnie, let's go. I mean, and the idea is that a lot of these things are developed after military methods. You know, the internet, developed by the military. Speed of sound, you know, military. You know, a lot of computer systems, military. Weapons. I mean, Space Force could, yeah, I get it. There's going to be a Space Force, okay. I'm guessing a lot of that that um, technology will eventually become civilian. So, why not get out there and just put all your money into something that's going to enhance humanity? Whatever. Whatever gets us to the next point at this point. I, I don't care. I want to, you know, I, I, I do want this. I don't want to be, I don't want to be stuck here. You know, I don't want to have to depend on, you know, smoking some random shit in order to take me to fucking outer space. You know, I'd rather do it the old-fashioned way, you know, on a big on a big pod full of uh, rocket fuel. So, that's my rant on that. Okay. Let me get to this article. I got two more articles, then we're going to close up top today. A little off today. It's hot out. All right. Kick that. Kick that coffee. All right. This is from Rogue Rocket by Sammy Sherwin. You guys have probably already heard of this, but I'm going to clarify it for those of you who haven't. Starbucks apologizes after a barista in Arizona asked police officers to leave. 
The incident. Starbucks executive, the star, a Starbucks executive flew to Tempe, Arizona to meet with the city's police department and discuss an incident from Thursday where a barista asked six police officers to leave the coffee shop because a customer said they, quote, did not feel safe with the officers there. Uh, you guys, if you know my history, I'm not the biggest fan of Starbucks. I still have a few bags of their coffee left, but that's about it. But you won't see me walking into their stores. The Tempe Officers Association, an organization that works to connect the Tempe community with law enforcement, tweeted about the incident on Friday. The thread of tweets, which included a cartoon mocking the Starbucks logo, explained that the six officers had paid for their drinks and were waiting for them when they were approached by a barista. The cops were told that the customer, a customer did not feel safe with the officers and they were asked to move or leave the shop. Oh, Jesus Christ. And there's a bunch of Twitter things here as far as the Tempe police officer, there a bunch of their tweets and stuff. Uh, a spokesperson, a, a spokesperson from Starbucks, Reggie Borges, responded to the tweets and explained in a statement that the company was still gathering details about the situation. Quote, we have a deep respect for the Tempe police and their service to the community, Borges said. We've reached out to the Tempe police department and the Tempe officers association to better understand what happened and apologize. We want everyone in our stores to feel welcomed and the incident described is not indicative of what we want of any of our customers to feel in our stores, he added. Responses from police and Starbucks. Following Starbucks's response, the Tempe Police Department tweeted out in its own statement in it that they explained that in, they had already com contacted Starbucks corporate office, but hoped, quote, it was an isolated incident between that one community member and a single employee rather than an entire organization. Yeah. Starbucks spoke out again on Saturday, this time apologizing to the Tempe police in a letter from the executive vice president of Starbucks, Rosen Williams. On behalf of Starbucks, I want to sincerely apologize to you all for the experience that six of your officers had in our store on July 4th, Williams wrote. At Starbucks, we have a deep appreciation for your department and the officers who serve in the Tempe community. Our partners rely on your service and welcome your presence, which keeps our stores and the community safe and a welcoming place. What occurred on, in our store on July 4th is never the experience your officers or any customer should have. At, and at Starbucks, we are already taking the necessary steps to ensure this doesn't happen again in the future, she added. The letter was updated on Sunday to say that Williams decided to fly to Tempe that evening in order to address all concerns in person. Tempe Police Chief Sylvia Moore responded to the Williams letter by retweeting it from her own personal account, along with the caption explaining that conflicts can be resolved with dialogue. Okay. On Sunday, the president of the Tempe Officer Association, Rob Ferrero, Response to the incident went on Fox News. Oh, boy. During the interview, he explained that the department did not hold any grudges or hard feelings against Starbucks. All they wanted is for the public to respect the officers and feel safe around them. In our country, we were, quote, in our country, we were very fortunate that there's a growing trend towards inclusiveness and reducing con con reducing intolerance, Ferrero said. And so whether you're defined by your race, religion, sex, creed, the focus should be on the individual. And that the same level of respect should be afforded to police officers and military. Starbucks has been a partner with us. They host our discussions with law enforcement, so we want things to continue, he added. We're not asking for the boycott of Starbucks, and we don't want the employee fired, so we want to make sure that's known. I'm a customer of Starbucks and our main one, but hopefully this is a learning opportunity and we can move forward and connect to our community. And hopefully people will feel safe around law enforcement because that's why we got into this job. Uh, let's see, there was other reactions all over the internet... Jackie Hoffman, Cuban Cis, Red Nationalist, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. According to local reports, Williams met with Tempe Police, off, Police Chief Sunday and again Monday. However, there is no confirmation about what was discussed or if the barista involved would face any punishment. 
You get what you. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, it's kind of stupid though when you think about it. A customer goes and complains. That's, hmm. I know from working in an office, sometimes that's kind of bullshit. Sometimes that can actually come from the actual employees themselves who make shit up like that. But in either case, I'll just go with what's reported. Fuck that customer. That's so... St I don't feel comfortable with them. They should leave. Okay. Or you can leave. You can always leave if you don't feel comfortable there. That's what you do as a consumer. If you don't like going somewhere, then... If you don't feel comfortable going somewhere, then you just stop going there. You know? I don't have to agree with every restaurant or retail place that I go into with every little thing that they do. But and then again, but if I just flat out don't feel comfortable going somewhere, then I just don't do it. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know what to say about that. It's definitely silly. And it this normally would not get the attention it it, it got. But due to the atmosphere lately, yeah, I'm, this got blown up really quickly. Because of the fact that, um, there, as you know, as, duh, as you know, there's two sides to the political spectrum right now. And they're two are basically, two are basically not really talking, more like yelling at each other, blaming each other for everything. And because one side of the spectrum has so many news organizations working for them and constantly pumping out articles, now the other side is doing what it can to pump out articles and pump out stories and stuff like that. So now it's like a war of information. It's a war of clicks. So stuff like this that maybe went, would go under the radar is now getting blown up to massive proportions to where two sides that try to talk are now yelling over, you know, the clicks, you know, the insanity. And it makes it harder to communicate with somebody who maybe you aren't seeing eye to eye with and you're trying to work things out but then you got to push all the journalists out of the way you got to push the news organizations out of the way the tweeters the bloggers you got to push them out of the way in order to have a conversation with somebody it sucks but that's the environment we live in right now but i think we can get through it uh this is my last article this is on msn i just saw this off the top off the off the top but um I do want to get to it. Actually, this is there is a, there's an the twenty fifth bond and it's the last uh, Pierce not Pierce Brosnan what the fuck is his name Daniel Craig Bond uh, he'll ever do it's the last Daniel Craig Bond and they they have there's twenty five there's twenty five bond twenty four twenty five bonds out there and they ranked them. But I don't think they, I think for the most part, they ranked them all wrong. Completely all wrong. So they start with the the worst Bond out of all of them. Uh, let's see. Starting, okay. They do 26, 1967 Casino Royale. This was a, what the fuck was this? It was instead released as a satirical spy comedy. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that. That doesn't count. That does not count at all. All right, so the, the worst Bond movie they rated was A View to a Kill, 1985, which, is a, which was part of the Roger Moore era. And, and also starring Christopher Walken and Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. <laughs> Tanya Roberts. Now, 
I didn't personally like this one. I don't like Grace Jones. Um, I felt I felt that overall it was a weak one. I felt that Roger Moore was way too old. Was this the worst Bond of all time? No, definitely not. It was just that it was 1985. Audiences were changing, and that it didn't it didn't have a huge box office gross, and that 40 percent of audiences liked it. I mean, it's definitely one of the worst Bond movies, but it isn't the worst, not by a long shot. So that's what they rated as the 20. That's what they rated as number 25. Never Say Never Again was actually not part of the Bond series, even though it started Sean Connery, but he technically was no longer part of that group. Uh, Roger, this 20, Never Say Never Again came out the same time that uh, the, that Octopussy with Roger Moore came out. And the two were actually combating with each other. So Sean Connery did, which which is basically a ripoff of Thunderball, but Never Say Never Again was not that bad. It actually had some good stuff in it. So in my opinion, it had, plus it had, Kim Basinger, so you can't really go wrong there. Uh, but in my opinion, it wasn't the worst Bond movie. Uh, it wasn't the 24th. It shouldn't be 24th on the list because it had redeeming qualities. It, and that what they say about it, to clear it up, Never Say Never Again is the second film adaptation, adaptation of the author Fleming's novel. It was, like I said, it was a ripoff of Thunderball. It is one of two James Bond films not produced by EM Productions. And it was released this more popular Octopussy. Yeah, Octopussy was a good one too. Well, actually, was Octopussy that one? It was all. It was okay. Uh, Octopussy, nineteen eighty-three, number twenty-three. Uh, Octopussy was kind of silly, hence the name too. Uh, it grossed. It did pretty well. It grossed about sixty-seven million dollars. Roger Moore. It's part of the Roger Moore era. He was getting a little old at that time, but I don't. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It definitely, it definitely does not age well. This one pisses me off right here because this one was freaking fun. I don't care what anybody says. This was a fun Bond movie. Number 21, Moonraker, 1979. Moonraker, uh, Roger Moore, Louis, uh, Louise Chiles, and Michael Lonsdale. This one I enjoy because this one was a Bond movie that took place in space. And at the end, they had a fucking giant space fight. This it, it, obviously it was kind of a ripoff of like Star Wars because Star Wars came out in nineteen seventy seven, and space was kind of popular back then. But I enjoyed this. This is what uh, Roger Moore knew after the first Bond movie he did that Bond was a joke. It, there was a lot of comedy. There was a lot of self deprecation in there. You know, it was kitschy. It was not realistic. Roger Moore knew this and played to that strength made that his strength. That's what made him so popular because Sean Connery was more of a serious Bond, more of a serious Bond, more of a chauvinistic Bond. But Roger Moore knew that there was just, a lot of the stuff they were doing was not realistic. That's what made Moonwaker so fun. It's It was a silly escape. This was a fun Bond movie. I loved it. I've watched this, I've, I'll watch the shit out of it whenever it's on. So for it to be 21, I don't buy whatsoever. Uh, the world is not enough. Uh, yeah, that one wasn't that good. Pierce Brosnan, Sophie Marceau, Robert Carlyle. Yeah, that one wasn't good. That was that was part. Pierce Brosnan is like one of my favorite Bonds, straight up. And I think he, after Goldeneye came out, I think he got a shitty rap. I just I think he got screwed over. He he kind of was the tragedy of the late nineties, and I don't know, just sucked. But he was a damn good Bond. He's a damn good actor, too. 
Uh, this is back to see number nineteen, the man with the golden gun. That's the only Bond movie I haven't seen. That's the only Bond movie I've yet to see. Man with the golden gun, nineteen seventy four, Roger Moore, Christopher Lee, and Britt Eklund. Uh, let's see, Roger Moore. Another Roger Moore turn is 007. This time, Bond faces the imperious Francisco Scaramanga. Christopher Lee prances sell solar technology to the highest bidder. The movie is memorable for Scaramanga's alluring hideout and the an island redoubt off the coast of Thailand and a colorful supporting characters. Eh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's the only one I haven't seen, so I can't say yes or no to this. But it's ranked pretty low. Tomorrow Never Dies was could have been better. Could have been a lot worse. Um, probably hasn't aged well with time. But I love Pierce Brosnan. I like Jonathan Price. I love Michelle Yao. Made a pretty good amount in the box office, but I heard there was a lot of issues on set. So it probably won't do well over time. And this was Pierce Brosnan's second attempt at being Bond. Quantum of Solace, number 17. See, this got better over time for me. I actually like Quantum of Solace. The beginning wasn't that good, in my opinion. They say it's the weakest performance uh, as da uh, that Daniel Craig's ever put out. I don't think it's his. Well, not it's the weakest Bond starring Daniel Craig. I thought overall it was actually quite good. It, it but here's the thing: is it came after Casino Royale, which was like a which was a destroyer. That was an amazing Bond movie. But overall, I enjoyed Quantum of Solace. I thought it was quite good. I thought it was a different. It was violent. It was fast paced. I don't, and I think they're mostly judging these. The reason why they're the rating system on is is box office favorable reviews overall, and I think it's because of 50, 50, It was I think they're doing it mostly because of reviews. I overall thought it was very good. Uh, let's see, Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die was not a good Bond movie. Jane, a young hot James Seymour. Jane Seymour was in it. Just not a good Bond movie. If you're gonna watch Bond movies, skip Live and Let Die. It's uh, I think was that Roger Moore's first appearance? Yes, he appeared seven times. It was this was not this was one you can forget. License to Kill uh, was Timothy Dalton's first attempt at James Bond. It was I didn't like it as much as Living Daylights. I didn't like it. They have it at number fifteen. Timothy Dalton was a good Bond, but he was a strained looking Bond. He was definitely a serious Bond, but I didn't like License to Kill. I thought Living Daylights was much better. Was it Living Daylights? Yeah. Diamonds Are Forever is listed as number 14. That's the worst Bond movie of all time. They have it at number 14. It should be the worst Bond. It is the worst Bond movie of all time. Period. There's nothing worse than this one. This is the one where Sean Connery left, and then Lazenby came in and did Honor Majesty's Secret Service. He, had, he did one tour as Bond, and then they paid Sean Connery a million dollars to come back and be Bond again. And he turns out this pile of shit. This movie was terrible. Skip Diamonds of Forever, 1971. Sean Connery, skip that altogether. Living Daylights, number 13. This was a good Bond movie. This actually was quite enjoyable. This was a Timothy Dalton's first stint as Bond. This is a very good Bond movie, 1987. Uh, Roger Moore's departures from the series, because he was getting too old. While some at the time criticized Dalton's portrayal as moody, moody and humorless, um, other, others were highly impressed. I thought this was overall very good Bond movie. This was Timothy Dalton was good in this Bond movie. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a good flick. Living Daylights, 1987. Spectra, 2015 at number 12. 
Very good Bond. Very good villain. Daniel Craig was legit in this movie. Made a lot of the box office. Uh, definitely a tip of the hat to older Bond flicks. I thought it was great. I enjoyed Spectre a lot. For Your Eyes Only, actually, uh, 1981 with Roger Moore. That was a really good Bond movie. Had some classic scenes in it. This was a great flick. Uh, they have it at number 11. I kind of agree with that. You Only Live Twice. Uh, the reason this is rated so high is you finally get to see, uh, who is it, Blofeld? Yeah, Blofeld, which is the guy with the scar in his eye. But overall, it's actually not a good Bond movie. It hasn't aged well. It's just not that good. Uh, see it because it's part of history for Bond, but see it once and you're pretty much done. And it's been made fun of. Let's see. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the one George Lazenby Bond movie, was actually not that bad. It was quite good. He was a good Bond movie, uh, a Bond for that movie. Telly Savalas was a decent villain. Uh, the ending was interesting, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a different, it was a very different bond. Oh shit. Just got deleted. Come back. I lost it. Hold on. There we go. Fucking. There we go. So yeah, number nine, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, 1969 with George Lazenby. I liked it. Thunderball. Thunderball I didn't think was that good. The Thunderball 1965, Sean Connery, 73% of audiences. I'm not one of them. I thought it was so-so. Even though it was a huge hit. It was 1965, that's the thing. So, different audience back then. I overall did not like it. Uh, yeah, I just I didn't think it was that good. Uh, which one is this? The Spy Who Loved Me. I, I love it. The Spy Who Loved Me, I love that movie. That's great. I watched the shit out of that. They have it at number, number seven. I agree. I like the spy who loved me. I love the actress, the the Bond girl, Barbara Bach. I think her name is. She is gorgeous. Absolutely. Spy who loved me, nineteen seventy seven. That was one of Roger Moore's best best movies. Goldeneye, number nineteen eighty five. Pierce Brosnan's debut. Legit as fuck. I absolutely love this movie. Love the video game that came because of it. Uh, over hundred million dollars in the domestic box office. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan, Sean Bean, Isabella Scarupso. And one other chick. Oh, yeah. This movie is legit all the way around. Judy Dench is the role to, as the role of M. Yeah, this movie... Pff, yeah, top five. This should be top five overall. Doctor No, 1962. The reason they do they put it up in the top five is because it's the first Bond movie. Sean Connery's first, first movie. It was, a, you know, it's the one that started it all, so they're kind of giving the tip of the hat to it. Um, it's okay. It's not great. From Russia with Love, classic Bond movie. This is the second one of Sean Connery. Uh, had some funny moments in it. Definitely funnier, but yeah, definitely hasn't aged that well. Had some good moments. So that's uh, yeah. I don't have much to say about it. I have to watch it again. But yeah, one of Sean Connery's better performances. Number three, two thousand six, Casino Royale. Daniel Craig's first introduction of as Bond fucking sick movie awesome movie high audience rating judy dench is still in it ava green who's amazing you can also catch her in the what is it 300 rise of an empire yeah she's legit in that one too 
But yeah, Daniel Craig, this was this movie was so well put together. Absolutely. That's number three. Skyfall, 2012. Yeah, makes sense to me. Number two on the list, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, Javier Bardem, Naomi Harris. This movie definitely had a good feel to it. Um, Ghost over 300 million in the domestic box office, 100 million more than Spectra. Skyfall definitely had a good marketing campaign to it. It had great environments, great scenes. It bring it shows you a lot of Bond's past. Number two, Skyfall, 2012. Yeah, Skyfall was was pretty good. I have to say. And number one, I completely disagree with. Completely. I don't know, maybe I'd have to watch it again and again and again. I still don't think I'm going to agree with this. Number one, 1964 Sean Connery, Goldfinger. Gert Frobe, Sean Connery, Honor Blackman. 89% of audiences, domestic gross, $51 million. According to audiences and critics alike, like Goldfinger is the best Bond movie. Characters, the actors, Shirley Eaton, doomed global. She was painted gold as a victim. I didn't know. I thought this movie was way too long, way too boring. Scenes were just stretched out. I don't know why. The 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 gold the Fort Knox scene was kind of cool, and it was the 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 first time that Bond utters that famous line, "Martini shaken, not stirred." This movie wasn't good. I didn't like it. They could have. It could be better, but it wasn't good overall. I didn't. You <coughs> me. I didn't like it. I, I, I'm sorry. It just it didn't work for me. I'll take from Russia with love all day long over Goldfinger or Doctor No. I just I didn't like Goldfinger. I thought it was way way too long. So they have it at number one. I no. They should have put maybe from Russia with love on there if they wanted to give a tip of the hat to something, but definitely not Goldfinger. So sorry. All right. So we milked the shit out of that. I milked the shit out of that hour and ten minutes for all I could. Hot as fuck. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. Thank you to all the new subscribers, all the people, you know, dropping in on the Twitch stream. I'm going to go ahead and out of here. If you guys want to support this channel in any way, shape, or form, I highly appreciate it. Go check out my YouTube channel. You can go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Uh, this is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Podcast Addict, all that stuff. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, all you do is sign a release. Email me directly, positivesarcasmoutlook.com. Um, and if you have other thoughts, questions, or comments, you're more than free to hit me up. But in the meantime, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here because uh, I'm dying here. Dying a slow death like open mic night. But I will check in on you next week. Thank you for all your listening, watching, supporting. Find, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much. This has been a positive sarcasm. To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.